So I think that the story of Joseph, uh, like many other stories in the Bible, uh, portrays for us really well uh, hope and that God is capable of turning any situation into good, into positive, and maybe even saving lives in the process. And uh, sometimes the trade-off might be uh, a little suffering here while on this earth for an eternity with Christ. I think a lot of times that's a worthwhile trade-off, and there is hope within that. Like we uh, have mentioned before, you know, First Peter uh, chapter 3, I think it is verse 8, uh, he writes that a day is like a thousand years in heaven. And so if you were to convert that and kind of break it down, right, here goes my math mind. Uh, if you were to break that down, it's about an hour and a half up in heaven. If, if, we, if you live to about seven years old, that's about an hour and a half in heaven. So let's say you live 70, 80, 90 years old. Maybe, you know, it's about a two-hour time frame in heaven. And whatever you do within that, you know, hour and a half to two hours, uh, that's going to carry into eternity. So our time here on earth is really just a blip. It's a, it's a short amount of time on the screen here. And whatever we can do, and really whatever God can do, to push us towards uh, that rich, uh, enjoyable, unbelievable uh, eternity with Him, I think that's a good thing. And that creates uh, hope. Because not only is he able to do that uh, on the heavenly front, but he can also take any situation and mold it also here in real time on earth for a possible good. So we had our three questions. Our first question is what to do with the confusion and despair. We talked about the second question, where is hope in the middle of this uh, Newtown tragedy? And where's the middle of, uh, where's hope in the middle of any evil and suffering? Third question is, how do I respond to the suffering? How do I respond to the evil? And for a Christian, uh, that's a really critical one. Uh, because we have this uh, understanding that our bodies are made up of, uh, you know, when we accept the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit living in us, but then we have our physical bodies, and there's always this battle going on. And um, we know that uh, God is always trying to make us into the image of His Son and, and burn off the impurities uh, within us. And so... You know, our approach to different situations and circumstances in life, we want to try and do in a holy way, in a way that brings light uh, to other people, in, in a way that uh, brings glory to God. So how do we do that in the midst of suffering and, and not just be overwhelmed and succumb by uh, our emotions? So if we want to respond, what's a good way to do it? Well, let me first uh, say that, uh, you know, if you're a human, uh, grief and weeping are healthy. And I think really that should happen. If anybody has a heart, they're probably going to be suffering some grief and, you know, just weeping and crying. I mean, you know, two year, two words into that prayer I mentioned before with uh, Julie, you know, we were just crying. And, uh, you know, it comes from compassion and having a heart for people. Uh, in the Bible, David was familiar with crying and weeping. Paul was familiar with this. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet. You know, Jesus himself was familiar with this. You know, he has some close friends in the Bible. Uh, the story of Mary, Martha, Lazarus. These are people he hung out with. You know, he played games at their house. He had dinner with them. He had conversation with them. It was kind of his regular hangout spot when he was in that area. And, uh, you know, what happened is that his friend Lazarus was uh, getting sick and about to die, and Jesus wasn't there. And 
Mary and Martha sent a messenger to Jesus at where he was and said, Hey, listen, you know, your friend Lazarus, he's going to die. He's going to pass away. And, uh, and Jesus uh, doesn't respond right away. In fact, a few days go by and Lazarus ends up dying. So when Jesus makes it back about three to four days later to Mary and Martha's house, they come up to him upset and crying, uh, you know, that Lazarus uh, has passed away. And uh, the shortest sentence in the Bible is, uh, Jesus wept. In that moment, he wept. You know, not because, you know, he didn't know where Lazarus was going to be, you know, when he died. And, you know, not because Jesus didn't know what was going to happen with, with Lazarus, but because someone died. Someone passed away in the moment. And Jesus had full understanding of, you know, our short time here on earth and, you know, what was going to happen to Lazarus, that he was actually going to raise him from the dead in a little while. He knew that. But still he had compassion and he could relate to the people he was with and the mourning that was there. And so, you know, grief and weeping are, are a normal part of the healing process. You know, some Christians would uh, lead people to believe that the response is just, well, they're in a bitter place and, you know, they're in the best place now. And, you know, uh, you know they, they have no room for weeping and mourning. I don't know how compassionate, you know, really that is. Um, I don't think that, you know, someone should stay in a state of, you know, mourning for 20 or 30 years, but there should be some sort of process, and then and then you give it over to God. Um, but I think our response, you know, number one, it could uh, consist of, you know, mourning and weeping. Uh, and then secondly, you know, uh, there's a mix of emotions. There's anger, frustration, uh, helplessness. Um, I think in a situation like Newtown, where someone targets uh, women and children at a school, you know, that are armed, that can't defend themselves, very cowardly. And so uh, the anger that wells up within that. And so what we need to do is sometimes that anger is there is direct that at the sin. Because we see son's ugliness, sin's ugliness, and it's poison. That's, that's, that's sin full-blown right there. You know, and that's that's the same sin that wants to take over our kids, that wants to ruin our marriages, uh, that wants to uh, get us addicted and in bondage to different things. That's the sin that wants to dominate and destruct our lives and those around us. Because Satan wants to destroy our faith and the faith of those uh, who suffer. But God wants to refine it. He wants to turn those situations and he wants to refine that. Um, you know, hopefully, uh, we could also be guilty of responding in a worshipful type of way to God. Hopefully we could be like Job, uh, we would be guilty of worshiping God on our worst day, just like Job. Uh, Job was familiar with uh, evil and suffering and, uh, not because he did anything wrong, you know, but because like, I had, uh, had him going through a, a testing time. And he lost uh, his children, he lost his uh, his money, his finances, and uh, he himself was inflicted with disease and very difficult time. But he was worshiping God right through, blessed be the name of the Lord for he gives and takes away. And that was his attitude about it. Uh, you know, we don't want to be the type of Christians who wait for a crisis to depend on God. We don't want to be like that. We want to be worshiping God before the crisis, and then we can worship Him 
in the crisis, right? We want to worship him before the crisis. Be in the habit of doing that, and then we can worship him in the crisis. And Daniel in the lion's den, he was familiar with this. Uh, when he found out he's going to get thrown in the lion's den, uh, through no fault of his own, he didn't stop his worshiping pattern. His pattern uh, was three times a day of prayer before God with his window open as he faced Jerusalem. That doesn't have to be everybody's pattern, but that was his. And when he found out he was going to the lion's den, that's what he did. He stayed with that pattern, and other people saw it. And then he stayed with that pattern when he was in the lion's den. And for him, God delivered him, and no harm came near him. It says that God shut up the lion's mouths. For other Christians, it didn't work out that way, and they ended up did passing. But it's much easier to be praising God in the crisis if we've already had a pattern of praising Him before the crisis. And so within our response, where we should direct our anger, where hopefully worship can follow, I think about this Newtown tragedy, or you think about 9-11, and you also, there's a part of us that wants to help. And sometimes we can go there and physically do something. And so there'll be uh, some of us, I'm going to try and head down to Newtown, you know, and pray for people and uh, maybe set up, uh, add some things to the memorial. Some churches are doing different things. Uh, but I definitely want to go down there and, and make, uh, have a presence there. But while we're not there, how can we pray for them? Because there's people all over saying we're praying, we're praying, we're lifting them up. And all these prayers are going out. So it's a good way, a helpful way to pray. Uh, well, one um, is we can uh, come with an understanding that people who suffer loss need love and encouragement. And so we can pray that they'd be surrounded with love and encouragement. They don't need to be surrounded with people who are going to minimize and erase their pain in through comparison. They need to feel and express their loss fully. And so hopefully God can just surround them with loving, compassionate, and encouraging people. Because there's nothing more frustrating than somebody uh, that gets around you when something difficult and a tragedy and a storm is happening, and they're trying to compare it to their own lives. And uh, that's just not helpful. At times, you just need someone to come alongside with you. Maybe offer uh, some of their uh, input uh, and two cents maybe later. Sometimes you just need someone to come alongside. Because one of the worst things that we could say to somebody, especially in a tragedy like Newtown, is, you know, God must have loved them very much to take them home so early. That's not a good thing to say. Because the response from somebody else is going to be, well, you know, I wish God loved them less. And that's not the message we want to send. That's not the message we want to give. If God loves you a lot, then he's going to cause you to die. It's not at all the message we want to give. So instead, we want to pray for and we want to uh, act in a way that uh, is encouraging and comforting. Because when we are walking closely with God, his heart for others will be in our hearts. You know, it's easy easier for us to be encouraging and comforting and not to be uh, critical uh, but to have, uh, there's a certain tact and skill involved uh, when, when you want to help people that are going through a really difficult time and they're really in despair and just crying out. There's a certain skill involved there. And I believe that God will help us 
through them and help us give the other person exactly what they need. Uh, but I don't think it's really possible if we're not really walking closely with God. Because if we are walking closely with God, His heart for others will be in our hearts. He'll start to open the eyes of our heart and show us what other people need, where He's at work, what, when we should say something and when we should just stay quiet. When they need somebody to stand by their side. Any stories that, that we might have that might be comforting. But he will guide us. And he'll truly give us a heart for them the way he sees them. And so we also want to pray that they'll experience God. We want to pray that they're going to find hope in his word. That they'll search the Bible out and look for encouraging passages and verses. We want to pray uh, that they'll keep their mouths open and talk about the situation and not stuff it, but at the same time keep their eyes and ears open to what God may be doing. Like it just says in Job uh, 42, verses 2 through 5, Job says, I know, he's talking to God here, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. Right, and this is the part, you know, where we're supposed to stop talking and have our ears open. So Job said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And so, you know, we, we want to pray that uh, people will be able to vent and be able to get off their chest what they need to. But at the same time, we also want to pray that Satan will be able to blind uh, their eyes and close their ears. We want to pray that hopefully they will also see and hear God God's working around them. So in closing, um, let's be encouraged and encouraging. Right? Let's be encouraged. Even though this tragedy has taken place and, you know, evil and suffering, uh, you know, honestly, um, it's just a matter of time probably before the next storm or evil or suffering comes through near or in or around our lives. But I hope that we could be encouraged, number one, and then number two, also be encouraging maybe to the people that might need it. Because why? Well, because of the things that we talked about. God is restraining and holding back the powers of darkness, even when we cannot see it. He is at work. Might have to dig a little bit more. Might have to search it out a little bit and pay a little bit more attention, but He is. And we found in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that that also, uh, biblically, it tells us that it's happening. So that's number one. Number two, God can redeem any situation for good. That's the amazing part about our God, His redeeming power. Number three, God understands and wants to use us as ministers of mercy and compassion. He wants to use me, He wants to use you as ministers of mercy and compassion. And we are best able to do that when we are walking closely with God, because then He gives us the heart He has for others. So those are three great reasons to be encouraged and be encouraging. And let me just close with this uh, final illustration. Uh, up on the uh, PowerPoint there, it's a picture of uh, New York City and the skyline there. 
and uh, you know, it reminds me uh, when I was uh, a freshman year in science class, and uh, Sal and I were doing a, uh, a project for Earth science class, and we had to um, draw a picture of the skyline uh, at different times so we could, you know, observe some things. And, uh, of course, we probably waited to the last minute, so we were up extremely late that night, and uh, I don't think we slept at all. Um, but where he lived was kind of in the woods, and uh, it was a cold night, uh, which is perfect for when you're looking and observing things in space. So a cold night uh, around wintertime, Thanksgiving time. And uh, we, we drew a picture of the sky about um, every, uh, I want to say, half hour or hour or so, and noticed the different positioning of things in the sky. And we could see it really well because it was so black and, and so dark where he lived. The backdrop was perfect. There was no clouds. And the stars and the constellations, they, they shone really brightly. You know, if we tried to do that and we lived in New York City, we wouldn't be able to. There's so many other lights in the way. There isn't a contrast. There isn't that backdrop. There, uh, it, it wouldn't stick out, and it doesn't really stick out. It's tough to see uh, space and the stars really well in New York City. In many ways, God works the same way. God shows his glory in the absence of other lights. He shows his glory and power in the absence of other lights. In the backdrop of cold and dark situations, he shines brightly. So in the backdrop of this cold and dark situation we have right now, uh, this tragedy in Newtown, or when we had 9-11, or whatever might be coming down the road, in or around our lives, God can shine brightly in that backdrop. Let's pray.